Bibles out and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Here in just a moment, we're going to be reading another portion of the Christmas story. We have been using these last five weeks to teach on what we've entitled Positioning Yourself for Breakthrough. I want to ask you again, how many of you would like to see a breakthrough take place in your life, in some area of life? I mean, there are people I know this morning that have come to the house of God, worshiping the Lord, being faithful, being diligent, doing all that you know to do, and uh, you uh, are needing a breakthrough. You need God to break through in some area. Maybe it's a relational type breakthrough in a marriage, friendship. Maybe you're needing a financial breakthrough. The end of the year's coming and it just seems like there's not enough to go around with regards to bills and other things that may be taking place in your life. It can be spiritual breakthrough. You just had a dry season, a dry time, and you're needing a breakthrough with regards to that. And so uh, there's all sorts of ways we might define the word breakthrough. When Jesus came to this earth, he came as a baby. We celebrate that in this season. And then he grew up among us. And then when it was time for him to be released into ministry, the scripture tells us that he went to his home church, so to speak, and he stood up in the pulpit and he began to read out of Isaiah chapter 61, talking about how the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he began to enumerate out of Isaiah 61 his purpose or his vision for coming to this earth. And it said that he came to give sight to the blind, to open up prison houses, to break those who were in chains. But the last phrase that he uses is the one that says to proclaim or to declare the favorable year of the Lord. And that phrase literally in the original language means that he has come to declare the dawn of a new day. He has come to speak that there's a new season, a new year, a season of favor. And that's the breakthrough that he wants to bring into all of our lives. And so we've just used the Christmas story to illustrate certain things that need to take place in our life in order that we can be better positioned for that breakthrough to take place. And I mentioned to you, I'm just reviewing here for just a moment. You can go hit the iTunes site on the internet if you want to hear all the messages. Um, You can pick up CDs if you like it that way. But I mentioned to you from week one and reminded you every week, there are really two types of breakthrough. There's sovereign breakthrough, which means God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he doesn't have to ask yours or my permission to do it. And that's great when he does that. He just sovereignly just shows up and decides he's going to break through and do something because he's God and he can. Oftentimes, you didn't pray about it. You weren't seeking him for it. It's just something he decided to do. And praise God when those moments happen. But the second type of breakthrough is the type that I've been zeroing in on because that type of breakthrough solicits our cooperation. Sometimes the Lord says this, I'll do something if you do this. If you obey me, then I will bless you, is what Deuteronomy 28 says. If you'll act in faith, then I'll move in this regard. And I call that cooperative breakthrough. Because there are times he's waiting for you and for me to put our lives in a position where he can move. The reason being is because if all he did was move sovereignly, sometimes he'd be endorsing your error. And he loves you and he will sovereignly move because he loves you. He just does it because he loves you. But at the same time, he doesn't want to endorse or enable or reinforce our error. 
And so what he does is he says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to exercise faith. I want you to cooperate. I want you to obey. And if you will do these things, then you will see my hand move in your life. And so we've been zeroing in on the cooperative breakthrough. And every week we've just been using a different theme about this breakthrough. And we get to the last lesson for this Christmas season, lesson number five. I've entitled each one with a question, and this one's no different. Lesson number five this morning is this question. Are you ready for some battles? Are you ready for some battles? Now, there are a lot of things we can do to put our lives in order. We can walk in faith. Uh, we, we can exercise vision. We can make sure we're uh, not getting all disjointed because we're on a detour. But there comes a moment you've got to realize that if breakthrough is going to come, you've got to be ready to face some battles. Are you ready for some battles? There's a reason we're called the army of God. Amen. And that comes actually from the scripture. There's a reason. It's because there are times we are called to go into spiritual battle. Now, I want to read to you another account out of the Christmas story that, uh, to be candid with you, it's, it's probably the one blemish or the one difficult account in the whole Christmas story. But I feel like we need to just touch base on it here this morning. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, Jesus had been born. God's been speaking to Joseph, to Mary as well. And then there comes a moment when God speaks dramatically in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. After the wise men had come and worshipped, they uh, had also heard from God in a dream that there was danger. And so they did not go back to Jerusalem and they did not go back to report to Herod. And this is what we read. It says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And uh, it's an absolute despicable, uh, tragic happening that Herod instituted because of his fears and his concerns, having all the male children under the age of two killed in the land. Leap over to John's Gospel as well. I want to read to you another passage out of John's Gospel, chapter 1. Beginning with verse 1, John 1, 1, and then the next five verses. And this will set the stage for what I want to share for just a moment or two this morning. John 1, 1 through verse 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now John's using here an imagery, so to speak, of Jesus, who was the Word, the once and for all Word that God would have to say in the earth with regards to salvation and atonement. Jesus was the final say, and he was there in the beginning, is what it says in John 1.1. 1, 1. He was with God in the beginning, and it literally says he was God. It doesn't say he was like God. It doesn't say he was sort of God. It doesn't say he was half and half God. Jesus is God. Now, that's what we believe. He was fully God and fully man. Not 50-50, fully, fully. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4. In him, meaning Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Everyone say light. Just a few moments here towards the end of service, we're going to be lighting some candles, and we're going to have, I, I think, a very vivid illustration of what I want to share with you with regards to these battles. But it says that the life of God was in him, and that life was the light of men. The life of God in us is the light of men. Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And we'll stop there. When God is on the breakthrough, don't think for a moment that there's not going to be in your life some contending and some battles for its manifestation. If, if it is God's heart, and I would hope that by now you believe it is for him to break through and show himself strong in your life, then you've got to realize that there are going to be some battles that are associated with God's breakthrough in your situation. I, I always see it like this. Whatever Jesus faced, I'll probably have to face to some extent. I figure if God's number one plan and purpose in the earth had to face certain precepts or problems or principles, then in all likelihood, uh, his plan for my life is going to have some of the same uh, characteristics. So I figure if he sent his own son through some things, he's probably going to send his other sons and daughters through some things as well. So Jesus himself, even as a baby, had to uh, have his parents at least be aware of the fact that there were going to be some contendings and some battles that would take place over his very purpose. The enemy isn't going to sit still for your destiny, for your resource, for your help, for a blessing, for whatever it is that God has for you. The enemy is not going to sit still as God does all these things in your life. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The reason God doesn't mess with your half-hearted or heathen neighbors is because they're no threat to the kingdom. But when you get a heart for God and for his ways and his kingdom, when you suddenly want to go all out for him and you want his kingdom to come and you want his goodness to be spread and, and you want people to know and you set yourself in that mentality and that stream, then you get the crosshairs of the enemy pointed at you. You just need to understand that's how it works. And that's why probably some Christians say, well, if I just don't say much about it, I'll probably alleviate my problems. Well, you're right. In some ways, you're right. Because you're no threat to the kingdom of darkness. But for those of us that want to press into the things of God, the enemy just isn't going to sit still. We may at times roll over and give up, but I want you to know this morning, Satan is the most tenacious, resilient, never-give-up creature in the universe. I mean, it's an amazing thing, even though he's filled with lies. He's filled with self-deception. He, you would think somebody who was in the very presence of God, who said that he was going to be God, and then gets kicked out by God himself out of the heavenly realm, you would think he'd have a clue. But to this day, he walks around in his self-deception, still thinking he's got a shot at being the big guy. So he still works with great fervor and tenaciousness in order to discourage and defeat and ultimately kill the plan of God. And while the general tenor or atmosphere of the Christmas season, and, and, and we all know this to be true, it's a season where we talk about love and we talk about joy 
and we talk about peace and all these things are certainly, certainly in order and so. I just want to remind you, and though it may seem out of sorts with the season, it's in the middle of the Christmas story. I need to remind you that in the middle of that beautiful picture that we all are reminded of this time of year, there was a great slaughter going on. A great battle was beginning to ensue between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God. And that breakthrough, that first initial breakthrough was being contended for. And here's the part, I believe I put it on the screen. If you'd like to write it down, it might be good to remember. A spiritual battle, a spiritual battle always manifests itself in natural ways. Now, I'm not going to go through all this. You understand, people aren't the problem. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We've talked about this thousands of times. But understanding that what we see out here in the natural Though it be difficult and though it be challenging, we've got to identify that the root source of that is the spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes. The killing of the children, as despicable as it was, as as much of a blemish as it is in the Christmas story, it actually reveals the battle that's going on behind the scenes between light and darkness. It's revealing the battle behind the scenes between Satan, who, who is selfish and the unselfishness of God's kingdom, it reveals those battles that are going on behind the scenes. I mean, why else would someone kill babies aside from you're just flat selfish? I mean, I mean, I mean I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to write a, a, the abortion issue too long, but I'm just telling you, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you abort babies unless it just doesn't fit into my situation? It gets inconvenient for me. It's, it's not really what I had planned and therefore it's just a blob and it doesn't need to hang around anymore. You hear what I'm saying? It, it's something far greater than just this biological, even despicable happening. It reveals what's going on behind the scenes in our culture right now. You can watch the evening news. You can, you can listen to all the political bantering. You can look at all the great moral issues and causes of our day. And I will tell you this, that while those things in and of themselves have to be addressed and need to be addressed, what it indicates to me is there is a cosmic challenge going on and, and, and God who will ultimately prevail is still looking for his people to get eyes to see and ears to hear and understand that when those challenges come, that's our moment not to run from the battle, but to rise up and to get into the battle. And if you want a breakthrough in your life, you've got to understand there's going to be some battles. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily fuss with people or fight with people. But I guarantee you're going to fuss and fight and war with some spirits. I will assure you of that. I'll assure you in your prayer closet, you will be in a battle. I will assure you there are times that you'll have to, with, with the spirit of Christ, have to hold your ground and make your stand. All of that will take place if you want to see breakthrough take place in your life. Now, I just want to suggest a couple things to you as we move through this. What do the children represent? What do the children represent? You know, uh, whenever I see children and whenever I dedicate babies or do things like that, there's something that turns in my mind and in my spirit with regards to what they represent. Children usually represent hope. They, they, how many of you know they represent change? Life drastically changes. Uh, every child I've I've had the three that I've had. I mean, I mean, they come into my house and I mean, the, the house changes. It is never the same. That's not bad. It's just the way it is. Children usually represent a new era. 
I remember when my children started coming, my golf era went away and, and another era of going to ball games and soccer games and baseball games began to be ushered in. I mean, it represents expansion. I mean, children came and all of a sudden we don't have enough room and we've got to expand and, and there's enlargement. And so children represent all kinds of things to us, even in the natural. You need to understand that spiritually, children represent the same thing. And I've often looked at young parents and, and, and just have said, just as in the natural or biologically this will be a new season, God sends children in order to indicate there's a new season. And I'll just say this, whenever a church has a baby boom, that is God's sign that there's a new season on the horizon. Amen. That's why it says a virgin will conceive. Behold, it will be a sign unto you. It's a sign unto you. So children can be a sign unto you. They represent potential. They represent purpose. Within their little lives, they represent uh, all the innocency of what could be in their life. The things that they could accomplish and achieve and, and do. You just look at a little one and, and, and at that moment they could literally be anything. You look at us and, and at times we do have some limitations because we've just been dumb and stupid and made foolish Foolish decisions. And so while God can redeem and restore the years, we, 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 you know, I'm never going to be, how many of you, know, I'm never going to be president of the United States. They just, they wouldn't have me. I mean, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't fit. So, so I, I, that may not be. But in a child, anything could be. Anything's a possibility. And within those children, let me just share this with you. In, in a child, there could be the answer in that child to cancer. Within that child, God will reveal the knowledge and they will have the understanding to be able to produce the, the pill or whatever it may be or the insight or understanding. I don't know, but they will be the cancer solver. They will be the one that will solve the great issues of a world or of a people. I mean, you think about that. That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. Who knows? Some of them will be apostles that will go to lands where the gospel has never been preached before and they will be the first ones to bring that in. I mean, that's kind of an amazing thing when you just let your mind dwell on that. Is it any wonder that Satan wants to snuff that out? Is it any wonder that he just despises that? So that's what children represent. And so here comes this child, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah. And, and Herod hears of this and he, and he begins to ponder this and think about this. And, and Herod represents something too. What does he represent? I believe Herod represents... The spirit of fear, the spirit of bondage, the spirit of control that exists in the earth. Herod, Herod even though he had all the, the trappings of power, he had his palace, he had his armies, he had everything that a person you would think would need in order to maintain his kingship. He had it all. And yet this baby is on the scene and suddenly it solicits from him this fear and this concern, this control, this, this bondage that's in him. A baby, think about that. A, a, a baby, a child, is soliciting that kind of challenge to a man who has everything earthly imaginable in order to sustain his kingship. Can I, can I just share this with you? That whenever God brings breakthrough, it will always challenge the old. It will challenge... The, the status quo, it will challenge what, what we think is in order to be there, in order to see things happen. It will challenge all of that. I mean, whenever a, 
Whenever a child comes into our home, things change drastically. The status quo changes. That child takes attention. That child instantly uh, solicits everybody's eyesight. It solicits everybody's immediate response. I mean, I mean, that's what the new can do. Many of you have heard the story that Tracy or I have told you about how when Kaylin came to us through a word, we received basically her long before she got here. We had her in a prophetic word. Well, uh, Tracy tells the story and, and she's right to tell it this way that that when she received the word, she was going to bring it home and she wanted to tell me before someone else got to me to tell me that this word was spoken over her. And she was concerned about what I would think. And she was concerned about how I would respond. And to be candid, those fears that she had were well-founded. I liked my life. I liked the order of my life at that particular moment. My boys had, had grown up just a little bit. It was getting controllable. We were going to restaurants now. We could actually eat a whole meal there. I mean, we just, it just, life was kind of sequenced and things were hitting all gears and it just seemed like this is good. Everything's in order. Why mess up a good order? And when she began to share with me this word and I got to hear it on tape myself, I could not even imagine at that particular moment. I remember we sat down, we just sat down on the floor. I had what I called the guitar room. That was back when I had about eight guitars. I got delivered from that guitar demon, though, so I don't have all those good... But anyway, we sat down in that particular room, and she was playing me the tape, and I was listening to it, and there were two, two things working at me at the same time. There was the power of the word of the Lord that was working in me, so much so it was causing tears to well up even in my eyes as I listened to it. But then there was that other part of me that liked that order and liked that control, and, and, I, and I liked, I liked the, the way my life was just... At, at that particular time and I can remember sitting there and it was just I don't even know you have to ask Trace to tell the story she'll probably tell it a lot more interesting than I'm telling it too but I mean if I wasn't manifesting outwardly I know I was manifesting inwardly it was just like no I don't want this I don't want this I couldn't imagine it Lord how could you do this to me you see how everything's put in order it's nice and tidy and this is what you get. You even get spiritual in it. You go, I could do so much more for you with this time. This would really fit better if you would consider this or that or this. And obviously the Lord had to deal with me. Because at that moment I could not remotely imagine another child into our household. But can I tell you something? Out of all of that and all the dealings of God and all the things that took place, I can tell you this. My daughter is uh, in her 11th year. She's going to be 12 years old in 2008. And, I, and, I, and is that right, or is she a teenager? She's already 12. All right, see, it, the years have gone so fast. I'm sorry, Kaylin. I'm sorry. That's, that's like, a dad just made the major faux pas. Dude, I'm going to hear that for 300 miles right now down the road. I am so sorry, baby. You're going to be a teenager. But the point's still the same. What I could not imagine in my mind... And in my life, I can't imagine being without now. Even all the torment that I'll receive up the road after doing this. I can't imagine. I can't imagine living life without being tormented like that. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine in all the ways that her breakthrough into our family 
brought joy and it brought experiences and it brought enlargement. I mean, I can't imagine that now. I can't imagine going to girls' basketball games. I can't imagine that. That's, that's what you do. I can't imagine. I can't imagine all the dynamics of what takes place. I can't imagine about, about not having someone all of a sudden jump across your lap and say, scratch my back, daddy. I can't imagine. I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, but that's just, it's just, but I can't imagine it. I can't imagine any of that not being here anymore. And, and, and so the point I'm trying to make is, is that there's, there's something in that spirit of Herod that says, I don't want that. I don't want change. And, and that spirit tries to crawl on us all in some sense. And, and if you can break through and press through, you can begin to see blessings on the backside. And I can understand the battles that the enemy throws at you. I can understand the mental battles and the physical battles. And I'm not telling the story again about the whole issue of pregnancy. I mean, you've heard that before. I'm just simply saying that if you want breakthrough, you've got to press through and God's going to break the status quo and, and the normalcy of what you think you've got right now in order to bring his best into your life. Sometimes we're just clueless. We think we aren't, but we are. We're, sometimes we're clueless as to what his best may be in our life. And so it's important that you ready yourself for some battles. If you want breakthrough, you've got to ready yourself for natural battles. You've got to ready yourself for those mental and emotional battles. You've got to ready yourself because if you want to break through, the enemy's going to say, oops, we can't have that. And he's going to be on that thing, challenging it the whole way. But here's the good news. God can speak to you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He's the one that gives the victory in all things. We are more than conquerors in him. See, don't, don't run from a battle. He's got more than enough of the stuff that you need to prevail. You just got to stay in the battle. The good news is that the Bible tells us that this battle is compared to the relationship that exists between light and darkness. As I was just scrolling out my notes coming into service today, I, I, I just started thinking about how, you know, there's so many imageries for a battle. You know, certain imagery is probably of, you know, the early 12th, 13th century, you know, where you had people in armor and swinging swords and riding horses and the armies would line up facing each other and then they just clash. That's kind of an image of an ancient war. There's the pictures maybe we have on our television set of what goes on right now in Iraq and Af Afghanistan. The more modern pictures of what war is all about as our, our soldiers go and, and, and fight and do battle. And so there's all these pictures. When I, when I use the term battle, I'm sure in your mind there's, there's some sort of image that begins to develop as to what a battle may look like. But the Bible tells us that the battle in one way, is compared to the relationship that exists between light and darkness. It's literally light versus darkness. And I read to you in John's Gospel his account of the coming of the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that in Matthew and in Luke, you have this sort of lengthy, enumerated passage passages of all the natural events that took place with the coming of Jesus. You, you can read Matthew and... And Luke, and you can fill in all the blanks. Most of the Christmas story that you and I know, all the things that took place, you can read in either Matthew or in Luke's gospel. Mark doesn't have a lot to say about it. John says it seems almost as little. But if you begin to read what he had to say, 
basically what John was doing was is that he got beyond all the natural stuff that was going on. Shepherds and wise men and, and dreams to Joseph and angels speaking to Mary and, and all of that. He got behind all of the natural happenings of that particular era and he just stepped in behind the scenes. And he just, in a few short verses, described exactly what was taking place. John says that Jesus brought life. Now, we're not talking just biological existence. I mean, all of us here today and are alive. At least we're trusting that's still the case here since the beginning of service. But all of us are biologically existing. We breathe. We will, after service is over, we'll get something to eat. We biologically do what we have to do to exist. And we use the term life. In other words, I'm alive because I biologically exist. But that's not what the Bible means by life. It says that when Jesus brought life, he just didn't bring something so you would exist. He didn't bring something just so you could just go about whatever it is you do and just do that. But the life of God is something so much greater and bigger and better. The life of God is when there's, there's completion. That's the best word I can think of right now. Completion. You're whole. W-H-O-L-E. You're whole. You're no longer messed up or screwed up or dysfunctional, but he came to bring life to you. He came to bring, that's why we'll say it's joy. It's not just being happy. There's, there's, there's a joy to life. There's a peace to my existence. There's, there's, there's a satisfaction. There's a contentment. There's a fulfillment. There's, there's this, there's this quality of existence that's beyond my biology, but I've reached it. I've, I've come to the place where I'm just complete. Nobody can do anything for me or against me, that will somehow challenge that completeness. In Him, I have it all. Do you realize how few of us ever get there? How few of us ever get to the place where we're not right unless the bank account's right, we're not right unless the job's right, we're not right unless this is right or that is right. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that need to be in order. So I understand that life has its order and Things need to be in order. But can I just get down to the bottom line, base level? This is where you start. You've got to be complete in him. Whole in him. And when Jesus came, John summed all of that up. I don't know how long that took me. Five minutes right there that I just started talking. John summed it up like this. He said, in him was life. Life. Some of you live, but you don't have life. Some of you exist, but you don't have life. Some of you transact in the economy. You you pay your bills. You you get to buy other nice things around you. You'll have good gifts. You'll have all sorts of wonderful things. Nothing wrong with that, but you don't have life. You've not accessed life yet. Life. And I'll assure you, you start getting older, and I'm starting to get older. I'm finding out when you begin to get into that second half of existence, that suddenly something happens almost automatically that you, you find out that there are some things that weren't worth the struggle, the worry, or the anxiety that you once had, that that sense of just being whole and content and satisfied, fulfilled, the life of God has finally taken dominion. Amen. That's the Now listen to me. I'm not saying that you don't know Jesus. You may have accepted the Lord. I'm not going there. I'm just saying the life of God has not taken dominion yet in your life. Ostensibly, I'm talking to people this morning. 
I would say that would, if I put you on the spot, you'd say, A, you believe in God, and B, you say, yeah, I've, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and that's great, and that's in order. But we've got to let the life of God take dominion in our lives. How many Christians, that, that, you know, that, that, that aspect is not in dominion. I mean, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my wife, and I'm grateful for my children, and I'm I'm grateful for you as a congregation. I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my forerunner, even though it's seven years old. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for all the amenities that I get to enjoy. I'm grateful when I get to go with Wally and play golf. I'm grateful. But I don't have to have that to have life. I'm glad for it. I enjoy it. But that's not life. The life of God. Jesus brought life. I'm just kind of riding life for a minute here. We got it about 10 minutes ago, Pastor. No, you heard me, but I want it in you. You got to get a revelation. Life. John says that Jesus brought life. Life. And the life was the light of men. Can you imagine? I'm, again, all, all, everything has its place. So, uh, so I'm, allow me a moment of just being excessive to make a point. I don't need your promotion. I got life. And everybody walks away, scratching their head, going, What's wrong with you? I, I don't need the relationship. See, I got the life of God. And they walk away and they scratch their head going, I don't get it. The life in you becomes the light of men. What is there in you that you don't seem as disheveled? You don't seem as out of sorts. You don't seem maybe as concerned. You don't... You don't, you don't seem as, 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 you know, ruffled. You just, you, what is there about you that seems like when the world happens, there's a sense of stability or completeness or it doesn't seem to face you? Life, life becomes the light of men. Do you know why they don't run into the house of God? The world? It's because there's no light. And the reason there's no light is because we've got to embrace the life. You got to get the life back. The life. The life. You know, there's a, a silly story. Um, how many of you have ever seen either the cartoon version or even the Jim Carrey version of how the Grinch stole Christmas? You remember about everybody, I believe everybody. I mean, I watched that thing back when I was about six years old, I think. It's been on 40 years, probably. I even have the book. I've read the book several times. The whole point of how the Grinch stole Christmas is this point. There's this old Grinch who's just old and bitter and dysfunctional and hurt. That's what the Grinch is, hurt. And, and a Christmas finally comes up when it just gets in him to such a degree 
that he decides everybody's going to be hurt with him. And so he goes into the town of Whoville. And one night, as he slinks around, he steals all the trees and all the packages and all the food and everything that people celebrate Christmas with. He steals it all and he takes it up the mountain with him and he's convinced, he's convinced in his mind if he takes all of that stuff away, they'll be just as hurt as he is. And somehow when he hears the cries of their hurt, that will somehow make him feel better. But lo and behold, I guess Whoville had a revival. I don't know. I always thought they should have wrote the story a little bit different at that point. But they come out that morning and they join hands and they begin to sing without any other stuff. And he's up in this mountain, this old bitter Grinch. And he hears that. And something, I'll never forget the, the cartoon version. They show you the heart. Pow! And something happens. The life was the light to that old sorry Grinch. What I like about it is the puppy was saved to begin with. Thank God for the puppies. You're with me now, though. Life produces light, produces change. Light and darkness, uh, you hear me now, light and darkness at their very root are antagonistic towards one another. There's, There's no compromise with light and darkness. You realize that. There's not kind of half light or, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's light, dark. I mean, I mean, there's no, there's, they're antagonistic with each other. And it's interesting here because it says in verse five that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, in just a moment here, we're going to light candles and you're going to see very vividly illustrated before your eyes what light and darkness, how they interact. Because darkness can never exercise dominion over light. It never can. The light always pierces. The light always breaks the darkness. And there are three things that I'm told, and I'm going to end with these three things real quick. And this is just to sort of sum up or illustrate or just to leave with you about how the battle takes place. Number one, the darkness cannot gain control of light. You got to get that in your system. When the life of God exists and that becomes the light, darkness cannot contain, gain control of the light. And we've got to get back there. You can't let the surroundings of your life gain control of your inner life. You can't let what everyone else thinks and feels and says gain dominion over the life of God that is in you. You can't do that. That life is the light and the light exercises dominion. It doesn't matter if you're living somewhere or you're going to work somewhere or going into school somewhere where it's, it's predominantly dark. One light in the darkness will make a difference. One, it cannot gain control of that light. Number two, the darkness cannot apprehend and does not understand the light. Isn't that true? In fact, literally, that word comprehend 
is meaning. I'm just telling you all the things that the original language ought to comprehend. The darkness can't apprehend it. It doesn't understand that light. When God, when the life of God is in you, or the life of God is in your circumstances, and the light shines, it does not make sense. And that's what the world's looking for. That's the mystery. That's the enigma. That's the moment everyone around you, and they may never utter it out loud, but when you're the one that can go through what you've gone through, and you've still got the joy or peace or the hope or the satisfaction or the completeness, they may never say it to your face, but I'll assure you behind the scenes, they're going, I don't get that. I don't get it. I don't get it. I've already mentioned to you, I was sitting with a real estate agent as we were visiting those few minutes about the land, and when that whole scenario unfolded, and And the offer was made like that and we walked away and she said, I've never seen anything like that in my life. That's light. The life of God. You say, well, how does that work? It's because you go in. I'm not saying this isn't arrogant, haughty. I never said this out of my mouth. But internally, I said, this is what I was saying internally. You know, if we get it, we get it. If we don't, we don't. Glory be to the name of the Lord, no matter what happens. But Lord, it's in your hands. So I'm satisfied in your will. And there's something at that moment when you can walk into the world and they, they sense it, they smell it, they see it. You don't have to say it. They just know it. That there's nothing they can do that can tie you to their system that is light I may even preach before we're done this morning in fact my joke was with her I said well you just need to hang around a man of God more I guess that's what you need to do finally number three the darkness will never be able to eliminate the light now we're going to blow out our candles. We'll light them and we'll blow them out. But you need to understand that the only reason we blow them out is so the wax doesn't get on our hands. And we don't burn ourselves. It's just a natural light. But the light that comes off the life of God can never be extinguished. Can I just say, if it's, if it, if it's extinguishing in your life, then, you, gotta, then you, you, you need to get a hold of the life giver again. Amen. Amen. And here in just a moment, just as we conclude, and the conclusion of my message is really the conclusion we're going to do with the, the candles and what we'll do here in just a moment. But as your candle's lit, I just, I just want you to have a vivid illustration in front of you, and I want you to watch as that thing is lit, how all of a sudden darkness is dispelled. And that's what, that's what God does in you and through you. And, and, and that's, the, that's really the battle. The battle really, the battle really isn't about getting physical. The battle is about demonstrating light. You demonstrate light and the battle's over. And that's what Christ came to give us all. His life became the light of men. Amen. I'd like to ask... The musicians, if you're prepared, why don't you join me here? And as they're coming, Trace, why don't you go ahead and come, and those who are, who are assisting you, if, if they'd come. And I'd like to ask everybody, if you would, just stand for a moment. Before the lights
are doused here in the sanctuary. I just ask that those of you, if you've never had opportunity to be in a candle lighting service, just to remember that if you'd always hold the lit candle, the one with the flame, upright at all times, and then if you're lighting your candle, that that's the one that tilts into the flame. If you're letting your children participate, just be aware that they need to be old enough and kind of watch where that flame's going. In just a moment, we'll begin to light candles. Gentlemen, you can go ahead and douse all the lights. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the season for Jesus, that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And Lord, as we worship you in these last moments with candles of flame, I pray that you would remind us that that light is not only in the world, but it's in us as we've opened up our heart and received you personally. So Lord, be with us here in these moments in Jesus' name.
Isn't it beautiful in here? The darkness cannot overcome the light. Remember that right now, will you? Carefully, you can extinguish your candle right now.
And Lord, your greatness is beyond our words or our songs or our illustrations, our messages. Lord, it's, it's greater than the sum of all that takes place in the earth this season to honor you. And hear that from us this day, that your light, your light will shine. Your prophet prophesied that, yea, though there be darkness, even gross darkness in the earth, that there would be a light that would shine. And it would draw kings and princes to the brightness of its rising. So Lord, let that light shine. Let the bushels be torn off in Jesus' name. And let people see that light. And Lord, though it may be a mystery for a moment or even a season, Lord, let it be unveiled to the eyes of the great harvest. (laughs) That there is life. There is life in you. Lord, thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you for the spirit of worship and celebration in this place this morning. Lord, I bless these people with every good thing from God. I bless them with safety as they travel. Lord, I bless them with good spirits as we finish off this season. Lord, I I just bless them with the peace, the joy, the hope, the contentment, the satisfaction, the wholeness. Lord, let, let it be a complete package. Let that be what they get. That package, I pray, this Christmas season. And we love you a lot and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the house said, Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. And turn around and before you go this morning, wish three or four people Merry Christmas, hug their necks and shake some hands and you're released. Have a wonderful Christmas season. God bless you.